And so I'm going to be talking about the Holy Spirit this morning. And for some of you, just hearing that, your body tenses up. Because the, uh, this idea or this person of the Holy Spirit, when you hear that word or you hear his name, you have past references or experiences, or perhaps you've read a book or you've heard someone talk about this person of the Holy Spirit. You've perhaps seen something modeled and you're just not sure. It's okay. Can I set you free this morning? It's okay. But can I ask from a deep place of love and respect for the person of the Holy Spirit, could you open your mind and your heart and put, perhaps put aside your, your personal preference or prejudices or past experiences and trust that in faith God wants to do something here this morning. Amen? Amen. And so if you've just arrived in church, Pentecost is this moment where the Spirit of God descends upon people. It's gifted to the people of God so that they could take the gospel message, all that they'd seen and known and had come to believe through Jesus Christ, they could take it to the ends of the earth with boldness and with power. Link Church is one of the many legacy stories that flows from Pentecost. It's, you know, we didn't decide some 14 years ago, yay, six of us, let's just start meeting and gathering and let's call it church. No, we did not do that. The, the church was thought of before the earth's foundations were set in place. It was birthed some 2,000 years ago as men and women were immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. And then they took the message of Jesus to all the corners of the earth. The church was not our idea. It's the genius of God to house and carry the message of Jesus forward until he returns. This is what you sit in today. It's no small thing. This is who we are. And so in the spirit of remembering, we remember Pentecost. We celebrate it because it orientates us within a big story. I want to just dial it back a little bit and make sure we're all on the same page. Amen? Okay? Because for some of you are like, Pentecost? What happened before Pentecost? It's okay. I'm going to help you. So God made a perfect world. You know that part. People messed up and sin entered the hearts of man. But God had a plan all along to rescue his people. And so he sent his son. He bankrupted heaven so that everybody, all of us, past, present, and future could be saved if we call on the name of Jesus. Amen? So we could be reconciled to the Father, so we could have his presence. And so to save us, Jesus had to take on all of sin, and he did that at the cross, and he had to beat death through his resurrection. He did that too. And then he needed to ascend to heaven because his rightful and worthy place is to be seated at the right hand of the Father. Amen? Are we up to speed? And before he ascends, he gives his disciples an instruction, and we're going to find that in Acts 1 verses 4 and 5. If you have your Bibles, you can go there. It's also going to come up on the screen for those who do not. Okay, so Jesus is going to ascend now. They're gathered together. They're all excited, I suppose, perhaps a little unsure. And he says this to them. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit many days, not many days from now. I'm going to read it again because there's some things you need to pick up in this moment. 
And being assembled together with them, he commanded them. Can I just stop there and say, Jesus says some very profound things within Scripture. His actual words are there. I think we live in a generation and age where we like to do our own thing. I believe that we need to listen to what Jesus says and, and just do what he says. I know that is perhaps new and not profound, but it's amazing what happens when people listen to what Jesus says. And he commands them to not depart, but to wait. Say wait for the promise. Say the promise. Which he said, you have heard from me for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So we're going to look at what Jesus said. Here we go. About what is to come at Pentecost, those, those three things. We're going to talk about briefly, I'm going to talk about briefly what actually happened in the room in Acts 2. And then I'm going to help us see perhaps what that means for us today. Amen? Okay, so if you're taking notes, the title of my message is The Promise at Pentecost. Jesus says to his disciples, wait, wait. That word wait is cover. Q-A-V-A-H, for those of you who want to go and check on me. Kava, I love the sound of it, Kava, it's like just gives me breath. It means to wait with expectation. To wait with expectation, to cover. Within the English language, don't know if you remember, matric English, anybody? Verbs are either in the active or the passive voice. Yes? No one? Okay. Kava is an active verb. It means to wait in an active posture, in an active way towards an outcome that's already known. This is profound. These people were gathered together just like we are now. They would have been in a room, but they knew the scriptures of old. They knew the prophecies. They would have studied them. They would have learned them. And so they knew what they were waiting for. They would have known the prophet, when the prophet of Joel. He said to them, I want you to put it on the screen. Joel 2, it says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men dream dreams, young men visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. They would have known the prophecies of old, the prophecies of Isaiah where he spoke about the seven gifts of the spirit that would be given to the people of God that we learned about earlier in the year in our series seven. They would have known the words of Ezekiel in chapter 36 where he says, and I will put my spirit in you. They would have known these things, and they would have remembered Jesus speaking of one that would come after him who would be their helper and their friend. And Jesus himself, over his life, fulfilled many Old Testament prophecies. And so they would have trusted that when Jesus spoke and told them that a helper, the Spirit of God, was coming for them, they could trust in what he said because he'd seen, they'd seen what he fulfilled. They knew what they were waiting for. And the truth is, friends, so can we. So do we. So do we. We cover, we wait for God to come through on our behalf because we know Him. We know His faithfulness. And we may only see in part, but we know that Jesus has finished the work. We know it. We've seen the work of our salvation. We know how the story ends. We win. 
in Christ, there's the fullness of victory, we know, and so we wait in a different way. And this knowing is what gives us faith. We don't have faith in the actual outcome of a specific situation, that things will get easier perhaps, but in the knowing that there is a greater story at play here, and it's because of Jesus and his finished work that we have faith. The assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. And so we wait, we cover with expectation because we know that the Spirit will sustain our breath even when our circumstances don't improve. We cannot place our faith and our trust in our circumstances changing and improving. So many people right now are saying, I can't wait for it to just get easier. <gasps> it might not. Then what? We need to place our faith and our trust in a bigger story because we know in that story how it ends. We know where we fit in, amen? You know, since the loss of my dad, I live with this physical longing and ache. I cannot make it go away. I want to, desperately, but I cannot. And although there's this reality to my life now where there is deep grief, and, and I'm, I've made peace with that because I know it is because of great love that I now walk through grief and it's almost a privilege in some strange sense. And I've realized this week as I've been studying and been speaking with God that I'm in waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that one day when we'll be reunited in perfection. And so I, in this moment, I do not wait with disappointment and despair and impatience. I wait with expectation because I know how it ends. I know the outcome and I know what Jesus fought for and I know what is coming my way. I am not overcome by my father's death. I am not. I'm waiting. I cover. And you too may be waiting, trusting, believing for something or someone. I want to say to you, do not give up. Do not give up. Cover. Wait with expectation for what God will do. Actively expecting the good things that he has for you. Because your circumstances may not tell you this right now, but I want to tell you this is the truth. God only has good things for you. Amen? Have you noticed children on Christmas Eve? We don't have to discipline them to get excited for Christmas Day, what's happening under the tree. No one has to shout at their kids to rally their excitement. Only me. <laughs> My children are super excited on Christmas Eve. We, didn't, we don't need to ask them to be this way. They wait with expectation because they know when they get up in the morning, there are going to be presents. And there are probably going to be things that they've wished for and longed for and, you know, got all excited about. They wait within a posture that is different, not one of, like I spoke, of despair and impatience because they know what's coming. That is how we are invited and encouraged to wait here on earth. 
to wait. Even now, some of you will perhaps be asking the question, well, where is the Spirit of God? I don't know what I'm feeling. I don't want to know what I'm thinking. I want to encourage you, cover with expectation. He will come through for you. He will show up. Amen. Isaiah 30 verse 41 says this, and it's beautiful. It says, those who cover, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up. That word rise means to see the dawn. I don't know about you, but I want to see the dawn. My soul longs for the dawn in this life. It says they will see the dawn. They will rise with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They shall walk. They will be able to carry and bear the journey of their lives entrusted to them, and they will not grow faint. But it's those who cover, who wait with expectation, knowing that we have free access to the Spirit of God right here, right now on the earth. Amen? So Jesus says to his disciples, wait. For what? For the promise. He doesn't say a promise. Notice that? He says the promise of the Father. So another little English lesson for you here this morning. That word the is a definite article. Taking you back, taking you back to your matric years. The definite article is used before a noun to indicate that the identity is known to the reader. So Jesus speaks about the promise of the Father. And they don't know exactly who he's talking about. The Holy Spirit. Because there were many promises throughout the Old Testament that that they would have known about, that they would have read about, studied, and learned. But they knew when he spoke about the promise that he was talking about the Spirit of God that would come upon people for the first time and be with us till the end of time. Pentecost reminds us that because of Jesus, not because of anything else, because of Jesus and what he accomplished at the cross through his death, his resurrection, we have access to the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. And so this promise, the promise, the Holy Spirit, has three very specific intentions here on earth. I want you to stay with me. We are going somewhere very beautiful this morning. It is a lot. But I have to set a platform for what I believe God wants to do, showing you that it is is a story that unfolds, that we have a part to play in here and now, amen? And so the promise, the Holy Spirit has specific intentions here on earth. He first and foremost is always about revealing and magnifying the Son. That is his mission and his mandate is to reveal Jesus to us. In John 15 verse 26, it says, But when the Helper comes, when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify to me. This is Jesus talking, telling us that the Holy Spirit will testify to him what he said, what he did, who he was, so that we can see Jesus, so that we don't get all caught up in our own story. Because how many of you know, life can get blurry, and when we look at ourselves too much, we get lost. So the Holy Spirit comes alongside as a helper to reveal Jesus so that we can see our true identity in him. We can have our purpose restored. Amen? Jesus tells us in Scripture that He's the way, the truth, and the life. And then the Spirit comes to be a witness to that, that He is the way, the truth, and the life, to testify what the Son's already done. His goal is to make the Son known. You got it? So it's through the Son 
Why does he do that? Because it's through the Son that we gain access to the Father. He is the way to the Father. And friends, if we are honest, we are all longing and crying out for for what only the Father can give us. We think we need all the other things, but we are all longing and crying out for, for what only the Father can give, His presence. And it's in His presence that we find protection and provision We find power, we find our true identity, we gain value to our lives. We know who we are. It's through the Father, it's not through social media, it's not through our friends, it's not through what people say, it's not through the constructs placed in society, it's through the Father that we find everything that we are looking for, for ourselves, amen? The second thing that the Holy Spirit comes to do, his intention is to restore us to the image of Christ, to convince us, I love that word, convince, to convince us of who we are in him, because we do need convincing, because we forget, and we label ourselves, and we allow other people, and, other, and moments in our lives to define who we are but it's the Holy Spirit who comes as a helper to restore us to our Christ image. And yes, that may mean when we step towards a thought or an action or a decision or a relationship that is gonna pull us away from our Christ image, the Holy Spirit arrives to do what? To help us. We get so tripped up in this notion that you know the Holy Spirit is the fun police. He's just coming to tell us all the things we can't do. And, you know, then Christianity, it's all about rules. Rules, 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 rules. But I just want to be frank for a minute. What helper arrives with the intent for harm? And what are some of the fun things that we're perhaps doing that are pulling us further and further away from our future in Christ and ultimately the purity of His image? Amen. Oh, the youth are clapping. Hello. You're doing something right. Where's Jean? You're amazing. Friend, it's not up for me to decide what parts of your life are sabotaging your future. Honestly, I think we all know. We all know. And we have a responsibility as adults, young people, to face ourselves and own parts of our sinful nature and in that realize that we have a helper who ultimately is focused on reminding us who we are in Christ. That even when we fail, he reminds us that we are forgiven by the blood of Christ. There is nothing we can do to separate us from the love of God. He comes alongside us to convince us of our right standing with God. We don't need to come with our heads hanging down low, full of shame, stepping into this church, hoping that, you know, life will improve and we'll get it right. Through Jesus Christ and the power of His name, we have been right with God. We have access to the Father and all that He brings. And he reminds us whose we are. Church, I want you to hear this loud and clear today. You are the beloved of the Father. The beloved of the Father. The third thing the Holy Spirit does, I just have to tell you, that was Dylan messaging me, (laughs) saying that he's finished. That's so cool. Everyone clap for him. (laughs) I'm sorry, I do like him a lot. That's the problem. I actually like him. 
That's also by the by. Marry someone you like. Okay. <laughs> oh, guys. Okay, I'm going to speed through this last little bit because we have something very important to do this morning to respond in a certain way. The Holy Spirit comes, the third thing, He comes to unite and unify the church. The unity of believers is of primary importance to God. It's a non-negotiable reality that we often compromise because we are, uh, we are concerned about our own story and perhaps our own agenda and our own beliefs and our own preferences and what, you know, what am I getting out of church and not you guys, all the other people. But the Bible tells us that heaven commands blessing with his unity. That's what happens. It's a promise. And so the Holy Spirit comes to work towards that end, to unify us because he knows what's best for us. He knows that a unified church is formidable. Amen? And so quickly, what exactly happened at Pentecost? Mark read for us. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit. That word baptized means, is a, word, a Greek word, baptizo which means immersed and fully submerged. I wanna clarify something for you this morning. At salvation, when you call upon the name of Jesus to be saved, the Holy Spirit enters your heart, comes into your life. And in that moment, or shortly after, you're invited, like we did last week, to be baptized with water. And this is a witness of our newfound life in Christ. We said, Link, it's an outward display of an inward decision. So we're taken, our old life is baptized under the water and we come out into new life. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, the old is gone, the new has come. That's baptism. We have the Holy Spirit in us when we are saved. Amen? But it's another thing entirely to be baptized, immersed with the Holy Spirit. And the account in Acts that Mark read for us, read for us gives us this, gives us an idea of what this baptism of the Holy Spirit looked like and felt like. There was what appeared to be tongues of fire, a rushing wind, the speaking of other languages and tongues. There was a, it looked like something. The room felt like something when the Holy Spirit came upon them, when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. But there was also some confusion, disbelief, because what people saw with their physical eyes didn't make sense in their minds. And it's in this place that Peter begins to preach the gospel and bring clarity to what's happening in the room. And he uses that prophecy in Joel 2 to remind them that this was always going to happen. And because of Jesus, the Holy Spirit was now with the people. I believe some of, for some of you sitting in this room, there've been instances where you've seen things with your physical eyes. You've, perhaps the Holy Spirit has been in the room and you've seen things manifested with your physical eyes and it's made you feel confused or unsure and you've questioned what you're experiencing. I wanna set you free this morning, that's okay. It's okay. We saw the first time that the Holy Spirit descended upon the people, there were others who asked, what's going on? Are these people drunk? Why are they speaking in strange languages? What is going on? Someone help us understand. It is okay to question what you're seeing, but I wanna encourage you, would you pray this prayer as often as you remember? Holy Spirit, Father God, Jesus, open my heart eyes enlighten my eyes so that we do not limit what we experience of the Spirit because we're trying to make sense of it in our minds, amen? 
And so I wanna say two things very quickly to you if you have felt that in any form. A life of faith will never fully make sense in our minds and in our intellect. That's why it's faith, because we lend ourselves towards what we trust is truth rather than what we see and feel in our human flesh. The truth is we only see in part here. And that is why we need to pray that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened so we can step into the, the fullness of what the Spirit has for us, even if we can't make sense of it in our minds. And when in doubt, can I ask you to go with faith and ask yourself, does this reveal and magnify Jesus? In this moment, am I being moved towards Christ and His likeness? Is there unity here? And if not, leave it be. And secondly, I just wanna say that, you know, just because a human being or someone that you know has done or said something by the power of the Spirit doesn't mean it is the Holy Spirit. Human beings, me included, we can get it wrong. We can prophesy and speak out of our humanness or we can operate from feelings or our own personal agenda. Don't write off the Holy Spirit because of a one-time moment where a human being confused you or perhaps hurt your heart. Given the benefit of the doubt, He is so good and His intentions towards us are pure and holy, better than you could ever begin to even imagine. And so I wanna ask you to open your heart to the Holy Spirit today. And so quickly, I wanna show you what happened at Pentecost. There was a powerful restoration of what happened in the Old Testament, okay? Where at the same time, in the time of Moses, there was a harvest of the weeks, which is actually harvest of wheat, okay? And there was a feast called Shavuot. At that feast, in that time, the law was given to Moses. And because there was no sacrifice and because of the holiness of the law and the fact that human beings could not keep it, 3,000 people died. But at Pentecost, at that same time, the harvest of the weeks, the feast of Shavuot, Pentecost happens. Jesus has now sacrificed Himself for all of us who live under law and showcases that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Because what happens? Peter preaches the gospel with the power of the Spirit. The sacrifices happen and 3,000 people are saved. Jesus redeems it for us. And you know what? 3,000 people was just the start. Generation upon generation, we see people saved by the power of the name of Jesus because of the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's through the baptism of the Holy Spirit that the disciples were given supernatural power that they lacked to do what? To reveal Jesus, to take the message of Jesus with the power of the Spirit and step out and take that message just outside to the neighboring town, to the neighboring city, to the ends of the earth. That's what happened at Pentecost. And what happened then is still true for us today we have access to the same Holy Spirit who descends upon us to give us power from on high to take the message of Jesus and reveal it to the earth so that all would know that He is truly Lord and be saved, amen? And so the church of Christ was born at Pentecost. This is what you sit in. This is who we are. So what now? 
the big question. Peter preached at Pentecost and and in response, thousands of people called out for salvation and were baptized by the Holy Spirit. I believe when the word is preached, we are always invited to respond in faith. The response is called for when the word goes forth. And to, we are asked to activate what we've heard. And, and here every week, that activation and response to the word of God being preached is perhaps to praise and give thanks to God through worship. We can give to what God is doing in his church every week. We can come up to the front of the room and ask for prayer and ask for help. We can submit ourselves to what Jesus is doing in our hearts. This week, I'm inviting you in the room and online to respond to this word of the Holy Spirit, the power at Pentecost, the promise with an anointing moment. Last week, I was standing here in the front and we were having the blessings sung over us. I don't know if you were here, but it was a very beautiful moment as our team began to minister to us and sing the promise of God over us. And in that moment, as I was standing there, God was doing something very significant and profound in my own heart. I'll share with you very briefly. But I I started this year declaring Amos 9 over my life. The year of blessings. God is gonna give me blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And a month later, my dad died. And to be honest, there has been such great disappointment and such, such confusion in my my very ordinary soul. (laughs) And in that moment, I felt God remind me that that is, that promise, it still stands. It's going nowhere. And anyway, it was in that moment where God was working so deeply in me that He showed me a picture of our entire church being anointed with oil. And you know, as a strategic human, I was like, how does that even happen? How are we gonna do that? But we need to do it from the babies in the parents' room to the children, to our transit, to our youth on Friday. Everyone will have the opportunity to be anointed with oil. And God, I've truly believed as I've sat in this thought all week of what God wants to do, that it is that God is gonna bless our unity to do something together. That He's gonna set us apart for a new season that there has been much grief and loss in this community over the past while. There has been so much that people have been through, but God is going to do something new and He's gonna seal something new and holy over our lives in this moment. His power, His protection, His provision, His promise. And so as you walked in in this morning, you would have been given this little thing of oil. Has everyone got one? Okay. And in the Old Testament, the anointing oil was done. People were anointed with oil so that something could be made holy, set apart. It was used for the healing of the sick, for the transfer of authority and for the divine appointment of people. And so there were specific intentions for anointing oil in the Old Testament. And I believe today that God wants to use this moment, a holy moment, to set people apart, to make things holy, to heal the sick, to to transfer His authority to us in greater measure. And I believe there are divine appointments that are gonna be happening in this room this morning. And so I wanna quickly talk about oil because some of you are like, this is so weird. (laughs) What is going on here? It's okay. Can I ask you, tell your mind to be quiet for a minute. Open your heart 
And listen for one more moment. The oil is symbolic of the Spirit. But truthfully, church, all we're holding is oil. Oil is oil. It's pretty ordinary. But when the Spirit of God comes upon oil, it becomes holy. It becomes set apart. And I wanna tell you today, the devil cannot touch what is holy. Amen? He cannot touch what is holy. And so what we're gonna do now online, I hope you got your oil, and in this room, is we're gonna take a moment to anoint ourselves with oil. Again, don't freak out. Why? I could easily anoint you. We could have our team up here anointing you. We could do it. But I want you to catch something today. I do not have more access to the Holy Spirit than you do. You have the same access to the Holy Spirit as anyone else in this room. You know who's disqualifying you from stepping into His presence and His provision, His protection? Most of us, let's answer that question ourselves. I may be gifted to preach and anointed to teach, to lead. God has anointed me, I know that. I step confidently into that, to do certain things, to shepherd this church. But the Holy Spirit is no respecter of persons. I am not more qualified than you are to take something that is ordinary, pray upon it, believe in its holiness and anoint parts of our lives that desperately need a touch of God. For oil to become oil, something had to be crushed. Jesus was crushed, bruised, beaten beyond recognition so that oil could be made, so that He could bring light to the darkness, so that we could be healed. He was crushed to cleanse us of our sin and our shame. So I'd love you to stand and in a moment just hold this in front of you. Everything you're doing this morning is by faith because truthfully, it doesn't make sense. But it doesn't need to. That's what faith is. And so let's hold this in front of us. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come upon this oil. As we take a moment to anoint parts of our body, parts of our lives, perhaps our businesses, our marriages, our homes. I pray, Holy Spirit, that that you would come upon this moment. And I'm gonna speak certain things out right now. And then I'm gonna ask you to, with courage and conviction, not human reasoning, open this bottle and anoint yourself, believing that you would be baptized by the Holy Spirit, that the power and the presence of God would come upon your life and that He would break through into areas that you are trusting Him to move, amen? And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come upon this oil, that darkness would become light, that sickness would become healing in Jesus' name. I pray right now that barrenness would become fruitfulness. If any of you are struggling to conceive in this room, I pray in the name of Jesus that your barrenness would become fruitfulness, that your lack would become more than enough. I pray that failures would become successes in Jesus' name. We pray by the power of the Spirit that you, Holy Spirit, would come and take what is exceedingly ordinary and make it holy. Would you smear the presence of God over your people?
people, would you give us confidence and courage like never before? And I thank you, Jesus, that you are here, that you are here, that you have been revealed and that you are putting your spirit to work. I wanna say to you, church, it's not about what you feel right now. It's all about what you believe in faith in this moment. He is in this room, amen.